This episode of Punk Rock HR is sponsored by The Star Conspiracy. The Star Conspiracy is the B2B marketing agency for innovative brands creating the future of workplace solutions. For more information, head on over to thestarconspiracy.com. Hey everybody, I'm Lori Rudiman. Welcome back to Punk Rock HR. My guest today is Amazon Letty. She's a keynote speaker and LGBTQ advocate that I think you should get to know. On today's podcast, we just have a chat about her life and her advocacy for sport, for gender equality, for diversity and inclusion, and her history growing up in Australia, being bullied, going in and out of sports, and then really turning her life around to do great work with corporations, advocacy organizations, governmental entities, and even the White House. So if you want to meet someone new, and who doesn't want to meet someone new, sit back and enjoy this conversation with Amazon Letty on this week's Punk Rock HR. Hey, Amazon, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me on your show. Sure, it's my pleasure. Listen, before we get started, why don't you briefly tell everybody who you are? My name is Amazon Letty. Um, my pronouns are she and her. I am a global LGBTQ advocate, keynote speaker, athlete, and cultural change leader. And I'm the only Asian LGBTQ athlete in the world to simultaneously hold multiple sports ambassador roles. What a life that you live. I'm so excited to hear your story today. You know, I have a bunch of questions about what you do for a living and how you contribute in the world. But the story of Amazon doesn't begin when you get a job. The story of Amazon begins in childhood, right? So what was your childhood like? You know, I never set out to be an advocate. And I believe that many people don't. And it's usually their journey that leads to some form of activism. And for me, it really was my journey. I grew up in an all-white background. I spent my formative years in Australia. And I was bullied and I suffered a terrible amount of discrimination because I just physically looked different. I couldn't hide the fact that I was Asian. But also inside, I really struggled with my sexuality. I knew I was different, but I couldn't put a finger on what that difference was because I never saw an Asian person or an LGBTQ person. I think like all of us, and particularly when you have the sense of difference, you're always trying to find a sense of belonging and a sense of community. And I went into sports at a very young age, but I saw it as a very hostile environment because the bullying and the discrimination followed me because I was the only Asian kid in sports, in the sports teams. And I saw very quickly as to how the sporting world saw Asian athletes. And that was like my first dose of it as a child. I want to ask a question because it didn't, all the bullying, all the experiences you had in sport early on didn't turn you away from sport like it would for many children and many young adults. For many, particularly for many Asian kids, I speak to so many people that tell me that story that they started sports, they were bullied and then dropped out. I just loved what sports did for me above everything else. And it just gave me this big why. And, you know, I think all the bullying and discrimination that I received really kind of t- 
toughened me up because I had no one that championed me or was on my side. And I knew that if what I wanted in this world, I would have to do it for myself. And I could see very clearly it would be a very tough road, but this is what I loved. I would imagine with no direct role model and no idea of what good and bad means when you're in this world of bullying, you see people who may perform at a high level but have a terrible personality and a terrible character set getting accolades in this world. How did you learn how to measure performance? Learning how to measure performance started when I entered the world of bodybuilding. Really unusual. I started at six when I started weight training and I, it was literally, I stumbled upon it through some dumbbells I found lying around and I was pushed out of team sports because it was a very hostile environment. My coach actually pushed me out through the stereotype of being Asian in sports. Through bodybuilding, I saw myself for the first time and it just gave me a sense of worth and a sense of confidence. And I learned about performance through bodybuilding, through being able to push myself past pain barriers, being able to look at weights and think, okay, I can lift 100 pounds. How could I perform better to be able to lift 200 pounds? But also, I educated myself because I had no idea what I was doing in the gym. So I spent so much of my time in the reception reading all these health and fitness magazines. So I learned about what it was to be an elite athlete and how elite athletes used their sports psychology and how they used performance and how they measured themselves. So I learned a lot from that and then just applying it to myself. And it was just a matter of trial and error as well. And you have to realize I'm only like eight at the time but I started at a very young age which really gave me this very unique skill set that I use today having a lifetime of sports in my life. Well you know we've talked about your journey into sports and we've talked about bodybuilding but one of the things about your background that I find so compelling is that you have some experiences with being unsheltered with being homeless so can you speak to that? I suffered a terrible amount of trauma as a child and a young adult. And I think when you don't have any kind of support network and you don't feel like you belong anywhere, you're always searching for a sense of community. And I totally believe, particularly in our younger years, and even as an adult, you know, we're one paycheck away from many of us away from poverty. We're one person away from falling into the bad crowd. And as a young adult, when I left Australia, I was searching for that sense of community and I think all the trauma that I held inside was just like this ticking time bomb and I found a sense of community but it wasn't the community that I needed but it was a community that I felt at the time was right for me because the people brought me in and I think I just exploded it was you know 24 hour partying drinking drugs one thing left to another and I really didn't have that much money at the time anyway so I wasn't that far over the edge of falling into poverty and I just ended up homeless and it was probably my darkest years in and out of shelters, feeling very suicidal, heavily depressed, my mental health very up and down, very much in debt, living in poverty. And I just hit rock bottom. It was probably my darkest years, but I learned so much of myself in that time and so much about how society sees you when you're on the margin of society as well. 
So what pulled you out? You know, a lot of us have these moments where we hit rock bottom. And I wouldn't say there's an epiphanyanic moment. You know, we don't live in the movies, right? But there's a person or a series of people who intervene. What was the intervening quality in your story? For me, it was the lifetime of sports. I really now look back at my life and realize that sports has been my survival mechanism. My younger years of being an athlete, being a bodybuilder, learning this very unique skill set of how to push through the pain barrier in very difficult moments. And also having a big why, I think you need to have this hope and this purpose because I always believed that I could make some kind of impact. And, you know, going back to my formative years when I started bodybuilding, it was the power of storytelling that I read about Arnold Schwarzenegger, someone who was extremely different, but celebrated his difference and understood that the world would at some point celebrate who he was, but also use that impact of sports. And for me, it was just like this epiphany moment that I had when I was, and it's so clear to me today, you know, I was in a shelter. I remember just two days of just sleeping. Like my whole body had just worn out. I could not do any more. Even wait, opening my eyes in the morning was difficult. But I finally managed to wake up like the third day. And I remember it was 6 p.m. because I remember looking at the time thinking, oh God, it's already dark. And just crying uncontrollably in a fetal position in the corner of the shelter thinking, what has happened to the life I had imagined and the life that I have now? And I have absolutely nothing, but I still have this hope to make an impact and I have no idea what it is because I have nothing to give and just thinking back in my head of that athletes those difficult times and pulling from that moment when I was a child of that impact through sports and how sports had always been there for me and that's really how I pulled myself out because I knew at that moment I couldn't have gone any further and if I did I knew what that was and no well, one was wait what was that if you went any further what would happen I think it would have been suicide. I had attempted a few times. And I think when you attempt and you survive, you really don't want to go. But at that point, it was like, it's a do or die moment for me. And I have to do something now. No one's going to pull me out except for me. And look, it was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. And I'm very fortunate that I was able to do it because I know so many people don't make it. But I think I've always been very tenacious and always been very persistent and very strong willed. And I think the lifetime of sports gave me those unique skills and I was able to pull myself out. But it, look, it took me years and I had a mental breakdown doing it. But, you know, that really started to lead me on the journey of advocacy because I just started to look through a completely different lens after what had happened to me. So you are now an advisor to governments, Fortune 500 companies and organizations. I mean, that is quite a life journey, right? You know, so many times in the world of work, we talk about a career journey, but that's so limiting. I mean, you've got this life journey behind you. So I wonder how you help those entities. How do you help move them forward? How do you touch the lives of their workers and their constituents? Sure. It truly is a life journey. And I've also, you know, worked with the White House as well. I could never have imagined the life I have now and the people that I've touched, those that I've worked with. And it was really through the experiences that I had. And, you know, when I pulled myself out of homelessness, I really just had one goal of sharing my story and hoping someone would listen to what it was like to be someone like me. And for those that were the change makers in policy. And, you know, it started from me traveling back home to Vietnam and cold calling governments and hoping that they would have a few 
few minutes of time to share space with me and my persistence paid off. And that really started the journey of all the governmental work that I do today around how to champion equality through the lens of sports and why sports is such a powerful tool in terms of social change, but also discussing the challenges that LGBTQ people face in the community and particularly those from the Asian community. And I sit with governments because they're change makers. I work with Fortune 500 companies around diversity, equity and inclusion issues and around all these other issues because when you're looking at how to solve difficult problems, you need everyone at the table. So I'm like this middle person that brings sports organizations, nonprofit organizations, governments and Fortune 500 companies together in the room to have these conversations. And I've been so blessed that I've been able to share space in countries that I go to. Pre-pandemic, I went to Qatar and I sat with 20 governments and had these conversations with them. And the opportunity that I have that they listen to what I have to say, because I think that there are so many of us that don't have this voice and I now have the platform to be able to make real change in the world and the impact that I wanted to make as a child through the power of sports. You know, one of the things I find with advocates, allies, change makers out there is that they push, they push, they push, and it becomes difficult not to get a little pessimistic. You know, here in the United States, hate crimes against Asian Americans are on the rise still to this day. It's been going on for the past several years. And I just wonder if you find yourself ever getting pessimistic about the work that you do. It's interesting because I actually don't. And the reason is, is that I realize that every small step that I make, there's a change along the way. And I think it's sports that gave me this outlook when, you know, I first walked into the gym and started to lift weights. I realized that, you know, I'm not going to change overnight. It's just like these small steps along the way that you make to your diet. You go to the gym and you lift 100 pounds. The next day you lift 105 pounds. And, you know, when I sit in the room, with governments, Fortune 500 companies, CEOs, and have these conversations. Look, I admit I may have to have the same conversation five times with them, and I may have to change the story to find a narrative that they understand. But every single time I have the conversation, I can see a sparkle in their eyes. I can see that they're more and more curious. I can see that they have made small steps. And I think you need to see it like that, the small steps that you make equal to great change. Because every Every voice can make a difference and I realized that from a very young age that one small voice can make a ripple to in the world to make waves. Well, I've been thinking a little bit about your keynotes because one of the exciting things about me is that I found you online while Googling emerging keynote speakers, interesting keynote speakers, well-rated keynote speakers. And I am so pleased that you're on the circuit talking to these organizations. That is so important. So tell us, when you're on stage, what are you talking about? For me, it's all about the power of storytelling because we can change someone's perspective in the world for them to look through a different lens when they suddenly hear a story that's close to theirs or different from theirs for them to become curious 
in the world. So I do a lot of work around the power of storytelling. I do a lot of work around allyship in action because so many governments and organizations and Fortune 500 companies are still struggling with, you know, how do we better support the LGBTQ community? How do we better support ethnic minority groups? I think the pandemic has shown us that, you know, there's an important rise with the BLM movement, the Stop Asian Hate and what companies need to do is to support their staff and their community and their customers and their clients. But I also do a lot of community building within the business sector of curating events and bringing different people together to have these conversations as well. I think, you know, a lot of companies realize that they have so much power in the community, but they need to access, you know, governmental officials. You know, I've spent years building up a vast global network to support those that I work with. Well, I am so pleased that you took some time to talk to us on the podcast today. What's next for you? You have a busy 2022 and 2023 on your agenda. So what's included on that? I'm still working around the major sports events. I think there's still so much work to be done around conversations around world sports. I'm a Commonwealth Games ambassador, so I'm doing a lot of work around equality around the Commonwealth Games. I'm working with the Qatar World Cup. And then next year at all the major sports events, I'm doing a lot of work in the US around trans inclusion and also continuing in my work as a keynote speaker as well. Well, what a fantastic agenda you have for yourself in the next 18 months. I mean, you're quite a busy individual, but if people People want to get in touch with you if they are curious about your keynoting where can they reach you people can reach out by going to my website amazonletty.com and across all my social media i'm on twitter facebook instagram linkedin at amazon letty amazon it's just been such a joy to learn your story and to learn more about you thanks again for being a guest today thank you for having me it's been a pleasure thank you Hey everybody, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Punk Rock HR. We are proudly underwritten by The Star Conspiracy. The Star Conspiracy is the B2B marketing agency for innovative brands creating the future of workplace solutions. For more information, head on over to thestarconspiracy.com. Punk Rock HR is produced and edited by RepCap with special help from Michael Thibodeau and Devin McGrath. For more information, show notes, links, and resources, head on over to punkrockhr.com. Now that's all for today, and I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time on Punk Rock HR. <laughs>